You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, where we post all of our shows, and you can subscribe to Locked On Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775. And today on the show, we're going to hit two important topics and a little bit of news to end the show. Uh, That was a, a late breaker yesterday. And so it's something that we can dig into a little bit more as this week goes on. Uh, that is the announcement that the Packers have brought back Luke Getze, who was a offensive quality control coach and a receivers coach for the Packers who spent the last year at Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. More on that a little bit later. Uh, but I also want to let you know that it is my goal at least a couple times a week. My, the, the real goal would be every day. That might be a little ambitious, but every day to discuss a potential, whether it's position of need or player or player group, where we can look at free agents and draft. And and we still are going to do the off-season report card and and report on position groups. I did that last year, and it was something that that really... um, did well, but I want to. I want to at least, an- whether it's answer a question. Hey, what do you think about Landon Collins? Hey, what do you think about this player? Hey, what do you think about this scenario with this draft? I want to. I want to be able to answer those questions in a longer form. And so, when those things come up, I want to be able to bring those discussions to you. And today, uh, we are going to focus on the question of whether or not to sign Anthony Barr. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But let's start with. A, a topic that is really important as we look toward 2019, and it is something that I actually, a week or two ago, I had about an eight-minute rant on this, and it didn't end up uh, using it. I cut it for time because it just, it didn't, it didn't fit the, the, the coherent vision of that particular day's show. Sometimes uh, when I don't, when I can just talk, you know, when there's when there's not as much focus during the week, you know, we don't have an opponent to focus on and, and there isn't an injury report to discuss and anything like that. That gives me an opportunity to just kind of talk. And as good as that is, as much fun as I have doing that, uh, I can I can go on tangents. And this was a tangent that I went on. And, and the more I thought about it uh, after, you know, after I didn't share it with you, uh, but the more I thought about it, uh, the more it really actually became more and more poignant because, not because I thought about it some more, but because we saw more examples of it. And I've buried the lead long enough. Uh, one of the, the key factors 
for this offense and the offensive revamp that's going on in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur and and everything that we expect to happen in the offseason in terms of personnel additions. We talked about some of those yesterday. But one of the things that LaFleur has discussed and one of the things that I mentioned when discussing what this offense is going to look like relative to the Mike McCarthy offense, it was a commitment to running the ball. And that is really important when it comes to this team. And it's really important when it comes to every team. It's not just uh, something that the Packers need to do because Aaron Rodgers is getting up in age. I don't think Green Bay would have given Rodgers a massive extension if they thought he needed to be turned into some kind of game manager. That's not what he is. But when you look at this team and you look at the teams that got to play on Sunday, the Patriots called 47 runs on Sunday. And guess what? Tom Brady was still flipping magnificent. The Rams called 23 runs. The Saints called 19. Against the Cowboys, though, the Rams called 42 runs. Against the Eagles, the Saints called 28 runs. The most runs Green Bay called last year was 32 in a blowout win over the Bills. That was the only game all season they called more than 25 runs. Part of that is they were losing in games and had to throw, but that is not every game. I mean, we can we can go back in the era of Mike McCarthy and think of game after game after game after game where he just fully abandoned what was happening with the run game. And you can go back and look last year, games where it's third and two and they're going empty. And as much as I have often espoused a position whereby you are only calling pass plays in the huddle and any run is a check based on personnel and formation and based on the look you're getting from the defense, I, I stand by all of that. But when you're there on third and two and the defense knows you can't run the ball because you're not going to call a quarterback draw with your gimpy quarterback, that is an advantage for that defense. The balance that these offenses can have on a given day when it's working is important. And Green Bay under Mike McCarthy, even when Mike McCarthy was a very good offensive coach, a very astute play caller, this was a problem for him. Green Bay last year averaged five yards per carry, second best in the NFL on a per carry basis running the ball. Do you know how many attempts they had? They were last in the league in attempts. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Explain to me how that works. Now, anytime Rodgers goes back to pass, and we discussed this during the season, you have yards per attempt. And we talked about it on first down, that they were actually getting more yards per attempt on first down running the ball than throwing it. That that lack of balance was really hurting this offense. And it was. When you go and you look at the teams over the course of the season that ran the ball the most, there is this, there is this false causality issue that we have in the NFL where you say, well, when Team X runs the ball 25 times, they're 15-0. and Okay, well, teams that run the ball are generally running it because they're ahead. And you get to run the ball in the fourth quarter and the second half when you play with a lead. So that is a little misleading, but. Seattle 
got to the playoffs because they ran the ball and they played good defense. Baltimore got to the playoffs because they ran the ball and they played good defense. New England got to the playoffs by running the ball and playing good defense. When you look at the top 10 teams in rushing attempts last year, eight of them went to the playoffs. Eight. Baltimore, Seattle, New England, Houston, New Orleans, Chicago, L.A., Dallas. The only teams that didn't are Buffalo and Tennessee. And Tennessee almost did. San Francisco was 11th. This is the pedigree that Matt LaFleur brings with him. This is the basis for everything in Sean McVay's offense is the run game. The basis for everything in Kyle Shanahan's offense is the run game. And that's true even if you go back and look at that Matt Ryan season where he lit the world on fire and he put up huge numbers and Julio Jones had a huge season and and that passing offense was studly. Their run game was too. And it was the basis for everything they did. And so what the Packers are going to have to do is find a way to marry creating that balance and giving your quarterback the opportunity to still do all the things that make Aaron Rodgers a special transcendent player. When they gave him that contract, that historic contract last offseason, they did so believing he was still able to be MVP Aaron Rodgers. They thought he could still be the guy that can be the straw that stirs the drink for this offense. That doesn't change with Matt LaFleur. And it also doesn't have to change when it comes to Matt LaFleur's offense. You can still say, we're going to commit to running the ball. And that's going to be the foundational structure of this offense. And still give Rodgers every opportunity to succeed. But in order for Rodgers to buy in, and this is a, this is a, a big-time chicken-egg problem. It's going to have to work. It's going to have to work. He's going to have to see, and this team is going to have to see early on, wow, this makes life so much easier. Wow, this is built on this, and that gets us to this and this and this, and all of it works together, and it doesn't work if you don't run the ball. So I understand cynical Packer fans are worried, oh, what if... What if, you know, Rodgers is, is audibling plays and, and not running what's called and all of this stuff? Matt LaFleur is going to have to prove himself as a, as a coach, as a football mind. He's going to have to do all of that and prove all of it relatively early in this process and, and give Rodgers a reason to trust him, just like any coach. And if, if the players see that it can work, and they will because this offense does work, and all, all Matt LaFleur has to do is say, hey, watch the Super Bowl. The Rams are in it. And, and look what the Patriots did. All this discussion about Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels with Tom Brady called 47 runs against the Chiefs, against the high-flying Chiefs, and they scored enough to win. They scored enough to win on the road in a playoff game calling 47 runs. Just because the modern NFL is predicated on spread offenses and passing and quarterbacks and all of those things, that can all be true. But you still have to play with balance. And that, I think, is a huge reason that balance and creativity, that ability to not only have that balance, but then off of that balance, you're going to get to all kinds of things that make Roger's life easier. And in creating that balance, you've already inherently made Roger's life easier. That is why Matt LaFleur is here. And so if Rogers can take that at face value and say, okay, we're going to give this a chance, then not only can this work. But given the pieces they already have in place, they already have the stud running back. 
They already have the stud quarterback. They already have the star wide receiver. And they already have the pieces of a foundational offensive line that can make this all work. It just needs some slight tweaks and some slight upgrades. And this offense, seventh in DVOA last year in a a dismal season, there's not that much that separates this team from being right back in that top offensive group and competing for a Super Bowl. Now, we're going to move to this other side of the ball. Um, And it is, I think, a particularly sticky topic for Packer fans. And that is the prospect of signing Anthony Barr in the offseason. And there's two separate issues here. One is just the, the pure logistics of it. Could it work? Why would it work? Does it make sense value-wise for this particular team? And we're going to get to that. But here is the, the, the fundamental part of it. Would this team have a problem signing the guy that broke Aaron Rodgers' collarbone? We don't know. And we don't know if Aaron Rodgers would have a problem with that. He didn't like the hit when it was made. But as has been pointed out on Twitter... Uh, he had no problem embracing Julius Peppers uh, after Julius Peppers, who had had gotten some licks on Rodgers in the past, you know, didn't didn't hurt him, but had he had they had competed against each other in the NFC North for a couple of years when when Peppers was signed from Chicago. Above all else, Aaron Rodgers wants to win, and I'm going to lay out the argument here for you. And this was Jack Webb from Packers Wire wrote about this. But we had the voicemail in the can ready to go about this question, this very question on Aaron Rodgers and, and Anthony Barr and would it all make sense? So this was all just sort of serendipitous. It was it was out there in, in the Packers consciousness. And uh, I'll let the voicemail tee it up. Hey, Peter, what's happening? Hey, it's Thomas from New Jersey. And uh, just got done uh, watching the last show, watching, listening. Anyway. How your comments about uh, the Packers going after Anthony Barr, I really had an issue with that. And really curious is, do you really think the Packers would sign the guy who busted up Aaron Rodgers' um, collarbone? And, I, I mean, I liken that to the Packers signing in Dominican Sue. So just so uh, wonder if you really looked at that angle of it. Um, love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much. So let's just assume, for sake of argument, that everyone is okay with this, that the players are okay with it, Aaron Rodgers is okay with it, and that Anthony Barr wants to sign with Green Bay. Those things all have to just be assumed for any of this to, to matter. And I don't know if that is the case. And I, I, my guess would be that Aaron Rodgers wants to win, and so if a guy comes in that can help them win, and I do think Anthony Barr can help them win, then Rodgers is going to be okay with that as long as he doesn't think this guy is, you know, a cheap shot artist or, you know, a douchebag. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't speak to that. But here's what I do know about Anthony Barr. He's 26. He turns 27 in March. And guys with his pedigree, he was taken in a draft with superstar players. And he was taken ahead of other future superstar players. And at UCLA, he was a pass rush specialist. 
forced fumbles, strip sacks, getting after the quarterback in his last two years at UCLA, 23 and a half sacks, 41 and a half tackles for loss. And when the Vikings drafted him, everyone's sort of like, what? They, they have good defensive ends. And Minnesota decided to play him off the ball. He was not a pass rusher. He played strong side linebacker off the ball not going after the quarterback consistently, and he did it well enough. He's a very athletic guy. He's obviously a very smart guy. But what he does best on a football field, his best asset is his ability to rush the passer. And it's not something that Minnesota let him do very often. And that is very strange. And it was something he wanted to do. And he knew that his value was being depressed by all of this. And when the Vikings signed Daniel Hunter, when they signed Kendricks, when they signed all of these other players and didn't sign Barr, they made it very clear that Barr was the guy they felt like they could afford to lose. And part of the reason for that is they weren't using him in a position where he was best suited. So this leads us to a very strange situation because he is a player who played off the ball, but would play for Green Bay an edge position. He'd be an outside linebacker. So what is his value? What is his market value? And those numbers are hugely different. The top non-pass rushing linebacker, the top off-ball linebacker in football in terms of money makes 12.5 million. That's Jamie Collins. Eric Kendricks just got 10 million. Luke Keekley gets 12.3 million. Khalil Mack just got $23 million as an edge player. The franchise tag for Ezekiel Ansah and Demarcus Lawrence last year was $17 million. Danielle Hunter, a younger, more proven pass rusher, just got $14 million a year. So what is the value of Anthony Barr? He's not one of the best off-ball linebackers in football. He's not Luke Keekley. He's not Bobby Wagner. But he cannot also assert that he's one of the best edge rushers in football. He's not a Daniel Hunter edge rusher. He's not a Demarcus Lawrence edge rusher. So he can't ask for $17 million. He can't ask for $23 million like Kalomak. I'm not even sure he can ask for the 14 that Daniel Hunter got because Hunter, as I said, a much more proven commodity as a pass rusher. But I will tell you this. In that draft... I had a scout tell me that if I were that if that if he worked for a 3-4 team, you might be better off drafting Anthony Barr than Jadavion Clowney because he was a better fit as a pass rush off outside linebacker. Jadavion Clowney went one. Now Clowney is also a free agent. He's gonna get tagged. Frank Clark is gonna get tagged. And I don't think Ziggy Ansah is worth kicking even even kicking the tires on. But what what signing Anthony Barr would do for this team is it opens up doors of opportunity, of possibility. Because then you don't have to worry as much about who's coming at 12. You don't have to be be sitting there crossing your fingers that Cleland Farrell or Ja'Kai Polite or one of those dudes falls to you. And you don't have to be worried about passing on another player that you think is really good because you think improving your pass rush in a way that one of those guys compared to Clay Matthews or Kyler Fackrell would, that you can't pass. 
free agency is about filling needs and the draft is about getting value. And I've always said that the best player available isn't the player with the highest grade. It's the player that you draft who can make your team maximally improved. Well, if the other outside linebacker on your team is Anthony Barr, that could change the calculation. And it opens the doors of possibility for Green Bay. And it would allow them to say, maybe we are just one more player away and we're going to take 12 and we're going to take 30 and we're going to move up to seven or eight and get, you know, pick a name. Now, I don't know if there's a player that they feel is, is worth that. Nick Bose is not going to fall. This is not the, the draft for that. But all I'm saying is it opens up the possibilities. It makes it easier to not reach. Obviously, reaching is always a bad idea in terms of value proposition, but that's a lot easier to say in theory than it is in practice. But if you sign someone like Anthony Barr and let them play that Sam outside linebacker in the Mike Patton scheme, something he is ideally suited to play, then that gives you much more flexibility to go into the draft and take whoever you think the best guy is, and that is the kind of position if you're a Green Bay, you want to be in. And so I think even more important than getting a safety, when you look at the, the hierarchy of defensive playmakers, they can live with Tremont Williams and Josh Jones and whoever. They can't live with this group of pass rushers. You get Anthony Barr, and now you've got a guy who is going to get probably an off-ball linebacker contract who could give you edge rusher production. Now you've got value and you filled the need, assuming everything else, assuming Rodgers is okay with it, assuming the players would accept him, and assuming he wants to come, this could make a ton of sense for the Packers. All right, before we get out of here, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the news that came out last night that the Packers are bringing back Luke Getze, and this staff is really young, man. It really is. Uh, basically everyone that they have hired new and, and even uh, one or two of the guys that they have retained are in their 30s. This is going to be a young coaching staff. Energy is not going to be a problem on this team. But, but to Getze, he is going to be the quarterback's coach. There was some discussion that the Packers may not have a quarterback coach, that between Hackett and Lafleur, their plans were to be very much involved with the game planning and, and obviously the, the game calls. The play calls are going to be, you know, Matt LaFleur's purview. So you have to be in those rooms. But I think getting a dedicated coach and not a coach that Rodgers has worked directly with before in terms of a former, you know, they didn't sign Alex Van Pelt. They didn't make Joe Philbin the quarterback's coach. Luke Getze earned this job. He was an offensive quality control coach in 14 and 15. Rodgers, obviously, MVP in 14. He was the receiver's coach in 16 and 17. Those years, Jordy Nelson came back from an ACL and was a huge part of the offense, and that was when Devontae Adams started to show signs of life. 17 was Devontae Adams' breakout campaign, and then in 18, Luke Getze was hired away by Joe Moorhead to go work at Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead was uh, a very well-respected coach in college football for a long time and became uh, 
a rising star, really. He is one of the more respected offensive minds in college football. His rise is predicated on the fact that he is really creative with offense. And so to have someone come in that Rodgers has a pre-existing relationship with, this is a familiarity, you have a rapport, you have an understanding, and this is a job, I, I, this is important to stress, this is a job Luke Getze earned. Receivers coach, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach in the NFL. That is, that is legit. This is not, you know, oh, let's find a guy Rodgers is familiar with. This is not nepotism. This is none of that. This is, this is, this is a great marriage of fit, of need, and of talent. Luke Getze is a respected coach, especially in that receiver room. He's a huge reason for the development of Devontae Adams. And we know, we know how important that chemistry is with Aaron Rodgers. There's no question. The scramble drill, all, all of the timing stuff that, that, that plagued this offense in 2018, that would not have been the same if Getze had been there. It wouldn't have. And so now you bring him back. And even, even all of the discussions we've had about the ability to, to create an offense where you don't have to play so much off script, where you don't have to play so much backyard football, that's all well and good. But every once in a while, you're still going to have to do that. That's still what makes Rodgers so unique. He can beat you from the pocket. He can beat you outside the pocket. He can beat you on first reaction. He can beat you on second reaction. So bringing in a coach that can drill down these young receivers on how to, how to manage those plays not only enhances that communication and that chemistry, it takes this whole offense, which could be this new, cool, interesting thing, and it adds this other element and, and one of the key elements to the old offense that worked. And for that whole discussion, you know, the case that I made for John DiFilippo to come in and be quarterback's coach and see the game through the eyes of someone that comes from that West Coast Aaron Rodgers background that would see it the way Aaron saw it, Luke Getze is going to see that. But he's also coming from a different system with a different ideology. So he's had to make those adjustments. He's already trained for this moment. And now he gets to be the coaching extension of Aaron Rodgers' eyes and bring that to Matt LaFleur and bring that to Nathaniel Hackett and say, this is, this is what the thought process is going to be on this. This is how Rodgers is going to see this. He's going to be able to, to have that communication, that shorthand, that understanding, and that's critical. It's critical to assimilating the quarterback, the franchise quarterback, the star, the heart of this team into this new offense and getting him to buy in. So having someone that he knows really works in their favor and he deserves it. He really does. That, again, this is not nepotism. This makes sense. He's a good coach. And I think they put together a really strong offensive staff. We'll be able to talk a little bit more about it as the week goes on. Remember, send me those questions if you want me to address them. You know, we had Anthony Barr today, but it could be your question tomorrow, 920-341-3775. And you can always hit me up on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. I actually got a, a Twitter question last night that we're going to talk about later in the week because I like it and it, it was a good reminder that I wanted to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it. So let's see how this works. Ask and you shall receive. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. 
You can like us on Facebook where we post all of our episodes. Got a rating yesterday. Some really nice words about the podcast. Really appreciate it. Let people know why you like this show. Make a Friend Monday was yesterday. Talk to your friends on Tuesday about Locked on Packers. If you didn't on Monday, find a friend and tell them about Locked on Packers. Let's grow the Locked on Packers community. We are we are growing. We grew, we grew in the offseason last year. Let's grow again in this offseason. We continue to crush it on the Locked on Podcast Network. And you guys are awesome. You really are. This has been an awesome ride. We are into the offseason, and you're still going strong. We're, we're still doing great numbers, and that means you guys are engaged. That, might, that means you guys are focused, and, and you're ready to go. And so hopefully the Packers front office is up to the task as well because the pressure's on. It really is. You guys, have, you guys have raised the bar, and for that, I truly, truly thank you. Remember, four days a week, Monday through Thursday. So we'll be back for two more shows this week, and then back at it. And we're, we're climbing toward the combine. A lot to talk about, a lot to discuss with the draft with free agency which will be here before you know it so you have to stay focused you have to stay ready you have to stay prepped and there's one thing you have to stay above all else and you know what it is you have to stay locked on packers